0: This is Veronica from Benedictum, and you are listening to Focus on Metal. Focus
1: on Metal!
2: my head Scott here. And Richie. Welcome you to another of our Kerrang! Focus on Metal episode, Just this Kerrang! 5, I think?
3: Episode 5. 5. And yeah. I haven't done the intro to any of
2: your <laughs> So we're going to change that on this yep. one. This one, and, yeah. uh, Very cool. I, um, I I Obviously, I thank you for getting this one in um, another time on your lunch hour. But uh, to be able to get a hold of Derek Oliver, who's uh, still uh, pretty, pretty big, especially lately on the scene with the... Uh, rock candy magazine coming out and i'm sure he's doing a lot of press and crazy shit for that to be able to take a little time to cleave off and talk to us about things in his past was cool yeah he was he was one
3: of these guys that i emailed a few months ago and um it was hard to nail down and a lot of it was on my end because of our work schedules and he's in the uk and the time difference and he really wanted to do it during the week Mm. Which is a kind of a non-runner for us at the time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I was able to do it on my lunch break. Yeah, um, I, I, like probably about three or four weeks ago now. But um, yeah, he was fantastic. Um, had a lot of good memories about Kerrang. Um, he was the melodic rock guy. Right. And I loved a lot of the melodic rock uh-huh. bands he liked, so I was really looking forward to talking to him. Yeah. Um, he, he he actually likes a lot of different music, which is one of the things I'm I'm, I'm getting from this. Um. A lot of the writers were pigeonholed for liking certain types of music. Like Xavier was the trash guy. Uh huh. And like Derek was the, the melodic guy. He had this c- column in it called Wimpware. Yeah. Right? Which is like all <laughs> the keyboard bands. And he liked the noise ba- some of the noise bands, some of the trash bands. And a lot of them seemed to have a very eclectic taste, which yeah. I didn't really un- realize until we started doing this, which is great.
2: Yeah. Well, you know, it's, I don't know, maybe it's stereotypical of me, but. I almost feel like that's kind of a something you see in a lot of journalists from the UK, is that they do have other bands that they've listened to, whether it's a classical or jazz or prog or just other things in their in their background.
3: Yeah, and over time with these writers, when I was growing up, you'd get to understand w- what they liked, and if they liked something, you mm-hmm. were pretty sure that you'd like it as well. You actually trusted, yeah, their words.
2: Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's and that's something that's that, you know you say that. And that's a cool thing about doing the show, is there's a lot of listeners out there that basically we're how they discover stuff. Where It's almost like we're doing what Kerrang! used to do. They go, oh, focus on metal guys like that? Oh, okay, maybe I should check it out. So it's, it's cool to be able to be part of that tradition. You know? Yeah, well, when
3: I bought the first Kerrang!, um,
2: I was only getting
3: into Iron Maiden, maybe a little bit of Judas Priest and you had this 100 page magazine with all these bands in it I'd never heard 90% of them right. Megadeth were in it I was like who, who are Megadeth yeah. right, there was an article I remember, I remember the first one I had an interview with Dave Mustaine and I read it and I was like oh maybe I should check them out Yeah. and then you'd read another article and you, you know over time then you'd get you'd, to read Xavier's reviews and if he, if he like if he, if, if he put you the right way a couple of times yeah. and a band you'd never heard of you'd think right I'll spend my 10 pounds, which was you know, a lot to a 16-year-old. Sure. Oh, yeah. But you'd trust Xavier's yeah. viewpoint. Now, sometimes you bring it home, you go, I, <laughs> ah, you bastard, this is a pile of crap. Yeah. But a lot of the times, they, they were pretty spot on. But it's good, it you know, stuff like that.
2: because, you know, and I don't think, again, because we've never really done an introduction to this together. Um, but I think that was a valuable tool that you had because, you know, I look back, you know, I just finished reading the metal collector that Martin Popoff just put out. And a lot of the guys are talking about, you know, magazines like Circus and Hit Parader and Cream. And you really didn't have that type of viewpoint in there. So you'd pick up, you know, an issue of Circus. And, for instance, you'd see um, like an ad in there for Rose Tattoo or an ad in there for Whitesnake. But they never got any kind of coverage. You just you saw this ad. You had no idea who this damn band was, what they sounded like, nothing. You just had an ad. And it was all just. What you saw in there was what you got on the radio. That was it. it, it you, this was a valuable tool. You, you got to like, read about all these other bands and, again, match up. I usually like what that guy likes. I think I'll trust it. I mean, the closest thing we had to that here was Rolling Stone, which was a pile of shit because <laughs> they didn't like anything. So, unless you were a snot band. Unless
3: you were a Springsteen.
2: Yeah, yeah. Springsteen or, or, or Dylan. Yeah. You know, but unless you had this really snotty musical taste. Then, yeah, I mean you didn't get anything out of that right um, I mean it's a miracle that latest metal list they put out that they actually got some good shit on there, but I mean that's a to me I would have loved to have had that here to, to be able to know about more of it more than just going down to the import bin and looking at the label looking at the cover and looking at some of the titles, maybe the producer and going, yeah all right, I think I'll get this and taking it home and usually I got pretty lucky on it mm. but if that was again it was just taking a chance
3: yeah it's interesting as we talk to these people that they never realized at the time how much power they had an influence mm. over metal heads and that really surprises me because they were writing for one of the only heavy metal magazines in england yeah and that was revered world over yeah. And they didn't feel that they had any real power at yeah, all. Well,
2: I mean, even Derek in, the, in his interview, right, talks about it just going by so fast.
3: Yeah, that there was, there was one issue, then they're on to the next issue. Yeah. That they never seemed to have time to stand back and go, wow, we're actually making a difference here. Now, yeah. maybe that really would have affected the writing, and maybe I'm glad they didn't do it. That they really still wanted to remain fans. Yeah. And I, when you read, like, Mick Wall's book... He ended up getting a a bit of an ego because he was one of the main writers. He said Mm -hmm. it in his books. And And similarly,
2: like, for Rip, Lawn Friend. Yeah. Yeah. Same kind of thing with his book, too. Yeah, Yeah. and
3: it it ended up with him that he thought he was, in in a lot of ways, bigger than the magazine. And he Mm -hmm. ended up, like, you know, leaving because of it. Yeah. And it's nice to see that all the guys we've spoken to so far are down to earth remember the magazine fondly and are still fans which which is the main thing they still mm. love the music now yeah. they've been through the ringer with all of these bands all the good times and the bad times yeah which could have just completely spoiled their outlook on a lot of the music and a lot of them oh yeah i'm going to this gig i love it and
2: i'm still in the industry and i love doing this and love it right that. that's great to see yeah because obviously like you said it you know they're they're going out they're guests they're backstage they see a lot of crap that other people don't see. And, you know, depending on what you see, it can skew how you think about a band. You know, you, you think about it one way and you, you're back there and you see somebody who you think is like, oh, that's a really cool guy. And, and then you're like, wow, he's a shithead. And, and I'm, I'm sure they saw plenty of this. And, and we see little bits and pieces of it, too. And again, yeah, to, to, to see all of that and the volume of it they were seeing it at and come out of it like yeah we still love this we're still doing it because all of them even like even xavier who's more focused on filmmaking still writes tons of liner notes
3: yeah you know i think a lot of it as well and i, I never realized it until we got into it was they were all freelance so they were writing for multiple magazines i yeah. think i think it would have been different for them if they were employed by kerrang they might have had to write a
2: different way Ah. Uh. I don't know. I mean, look at look at the writers for uh, for classic rock. They, they kind of carried on that tradition, and uh, as we know, a lot of the poor bastards were on staff. Yeah, <laughs> they were. They were shafted. Yeah. yeah, but they're back now. So right. Yeah, but um, and back because of Derek Oliver, coincidentally.
3: Yeah, the Rock Handy magazine. <laughs> um, I've got the two issues. Um, of course, you know we, we had Howard Johnson on, and we, we talked a lot about uh, issue one. Mm. And I got a chance to talk to Derek about Issue 2. Now, he's been running Rock Candy, I think, for oh, at least 10 years. And um, they do a fantastic job remastering the stuff. And I, I get into it a little bit in the end of the mm-hmm. interview. He talks about the process of, yeah. of, of actually getting the album And that, and that done. was great
2: because, I mean, there's a couple of them that we've always talked about. Gee, I wish they would have. How come they didn't? and you got into that so we've finally got some answers on that well the reason
3: they can't is the reason they're out they're not out there at the <laughs> yeah, moment it's yeah, because he can't get his hands on yeah. them because nobody else can yeah. as
2: well but even I mean we, you know we talked to, to Jerry
3: Jerry Best yeah, yeah, about lying. the lion stuff yeah. and,
2: and and he's you know in the same kind of like what the fuck you know, that the Derek is about it
3: yeah like he wants to release this stuff yeah like I, I mean he said like a lot of he get, probably gets hit up with a lot of you know can he do this can he get this can he get this can he get this and the process is pretty exhaustive mm-hmm. to actually get their, your hands on it, and yeah. then of course, will it sell five copies? <laughs> because th- they put a lot of work into the liner notes. They normally interview some of the band members, and um, they got to pay a guy to remaster it.
2: Yeah, they um, got to do the. They got to get the artwork again. Yeah, you know I mean all of that pictures. Stuff. They got to. Yeah. Pr- they got
3: to spend money on promotion. Yeah, I think the magazine is a great um, thing to do in conjunction with the CDs. Yeah, because. It's advertising their product. Right. And the label itself is set up as a nostalgia it is a nostalgia label. It's for seventies and eighties mm-hmm. and maybe early nineties rock albums. Yeah. And the magazine is set up in a way that it, it mirrors the old Kerrang. Right. And it talks about a lot of the bands that already have albums
2: issued on the label. Right. So it it it's a win win for everybody. Sure. Yeah, and you know, and just hey, we're gonna toot our own horn on this one, but they actually the the first announcement that that was a real thing that it was going to happen happened on this show. Savior,
3: wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, he'd said it yeah. to us before it was announced. Before so, it was
2: even announced, we were it was here. First. I was
3: chuffed. I was, like,
2: it was <laughs> fucking great. <laughs> yeah. So uh, occasionally we get the scoops. Yeah. We just don't put them out as clickbait. We just run them like everything else.
3: And you know what the great thing about the magazine is, and I wish they did more. Then I would actually have something to talk to the writers about and say, you wrote this story about such a band. Because one of the problems I'm having is I don't have the magazines Uh and the the writers don't remember everything.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, come on. I mean, they're doing issue after issue. There's there's people where someone talks to me and goes, yeah, you had so-and-so on the show. And I have to be like, I did? Yeah, and you look back and be like, son of a bitch, yeah, I did. Oh,
3: yeah. Yeah, or someone will <laughs> ask me, what, what, you know, what are your worst interviews, your best interviews? And I'm like,
2: oh, oh Jesus, I, I've done so many. I, I can't. Yeah. and This is in the last four years. Yeah. I'm going it, back 30 it, fucking it, it, years with these guys. Did, I mean, really, when you started this with me, did you ever think that you get to the point where these blend together? No. Where you're like, I can't even remember all of them I've done. But no. yeah, it's amazing.
3: No, it's nearly five years now. You know? I'm still alive. I didn't think it was five <laughs> years ago. I, I didn't know what was going to happen in my life. But well, the, the other thing about the writers that amazed me, how fucking young they were. Yeah. Unbe- incredible. Yeah. Like Howard Johnson was 16, S-Stefan. going on the road with Sammy Hagar. Yeah. Stefan Shirazi was over here going out with Fate No More and yeah. Metallica. Yeah. He's 18 years old. Yeah, And Jeff Barton saying to these guys, yep, <laughs> you can write stuff for me. I'm like, fucking hell, for a commercial magazine? Yeah. And it worked? Yeah. It really is
2: incredible. Yeah, it is. It's crazy. It's yeah, crazy. That they were actually able to do it. Yeah, and, and the fact that they went through, you know, all the different editors-in-chiefs, and for that for the period that really we're concerned on, it, there wasn't an appreciable change in, in the quality of the tone of it.
3: No, it always used to be... It was funny, mm-hmm. and it was... It was as if the writers were in on the joke, yeah. and wrote about it, yeah. Um, they were they put the boot in when it when it was warranted, sure. And they did it sometimes. And I'm hoping, ho- hopefully, I'll get Jeff Barton on, mm-hmm. and he might share some stories about stuff that they didn't put in at the time, yeah, that he felt was a bit too, uh, you know, risky. Uh huh. Because even though it was a powerful magazine, they still co- had to toe the line somewhat with these bands because, or if they screwed up a label. Yeah I had some big heavy metal bands on it But they
2: went I mean they did go out I mean they put Topless Doro in there
3: They did (laughs) Um, Of course one of the Big famous stories They had in it Was Mick Wall Did a story on Poison Where uh, With Ross Halfon Where they locked him in a room Uh For for like three or four hours Yeah And um, He ran the piece And he put the boot in the band, he said, Share of Bastards," basically. Yeah, and it ran in the magazine, and it got him into a bit of trouble. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> so D- Jeff said, "Okay, you can do that because this is what happened." Yeah, and maybe it was just the, the pace that they were doing it. It was like, "Yeah, do it," and then we'll go on to the next issue, and everything will be forgotten. Yeah, yeah, because at that stage they were doing it weekly, right? Yeah, and um, which I think the magazine it did suffer a little bit because every two weeks they were a bit better on the I think on the quality of the
2: writing. Yeah, I mean, that's, even people that work on a monthly magazine, I'll tell you that the pressure to do a monthly one, especially now when you, you pick up a monthly magazine and you look at how many stories a single writer will do in that magazine, it's, you know, it's amazing. Even, you know, even online, like every week, there's a there's a digital magazine called Tone Report. It's off of Pro, ProGuitarShop.com. So it's one of my gear Bibles. They do pedals. So these piles of pedals here. And <laughs> yeah, there piles. As Richie shakes his head, like, "Yeah, yeah." If they, I blow on him, they, they're gonna collapse and kill over. me. Yeah. But, but you you look, and there's only you know a handful of guys that write for that, and every week they're doing one or two reviews and a couple of stories. It's like, holy crap! And in ca- some cases, some of these guys they're playing in bands, they're on tour. I mean, they got other things they're doing, and it's amazing. <laughs> and so to think about you know that which is not even the same page count as a kerrang but to be doing that weekly that's crazy
3: yeah now now if there's people out there listening to this and um i hope hope you are (laughs) (laughs) um if you have the old magazines and you're leafing through them sometime and you see an article by a writer that we haven't had on that i might get on shoot me an email about the article because i won't know about it and if you tell me about it i might be able to ask them a question about it that might you know, pique their memory, and I might get some good shit out of them, sure, because i don 't want to get into the, the what 's the best gig what 's the worst gig who 's the most boring interview? Uh, you kind of go down that path anyway with 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 the writer so far, but i 'd love to ask them specifically about certain interviews, and if they don 't remember them, they don 't remember them, but if they do, mm. then fantastic um. You know, so just hit me up on on the Facebook page and send me a message saying, look, Richie, I read this article on, say, Blackie Lawless or someone, and and such and such a guy, you haven't had on yet, he did it. And then I might be able to get the guy on and say, look, do you remember interviewing such and such a guy? And, you know, I might get a good story out of him that way. So all you guys could really help me on this one. Sure.
2: All right. So uh, with all that, um, what do you say we roll your uh, talk with Derek Oliver? Yeah. Here we go. Kerrang number five with uh, Derek Oliver. Hello.
1: Hello. Hi, is that Derek Oliver? Yeah, speaking. Hi, Derek. It's Richie from Focus on Metal calling about the interview. Is now a good time?
0: I am very well. How are you, Richie?
1: I'm, I'm great. I'm great. Just really looking forward to you talking about Kerrang magazine here. Looking forward to okay, it. Okay,
0: that sounds good. You want to talk about Kerrang?
1: Yeah, well, that's the project we've been doing, and I've spoken to Malcolm Dome and Xavier and Stefan Shirazi and a couple of others. It's been good so far. Okay, no
0: problem. You can talk about anything, as long as it's legal and safe. Right,
1: everything will be legal on this, don't worry. <laughs> It'll be all good. So the first question I always ask everybody is, how did they end up working for Kerrang! Magazine in the first place?
0: Um, I, 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 I was about uh, 20, 20. One, twenty-two, something like that. But I've been I've been writing for a magazine in in the U, UK at the time, a very popular magazine called um, Melody Maker. And uh, I wrote a bit for Sounds magazine, and then um, uh, you know joined the joined the team on Kerrang! Uh, pretty much at the beginning. Okay, and. Uh, so I spent, uh, I spent, you know, I guess about six or seven years writing for crime.
1: Yeah. So was there an actual interview process to get to work for the magazine, or, or did somebody contact you? How did that work?
0: No, somebody asked me at the magazine, would I would I uh, like to write for the magazine rather than uh, melody maker? So I said, yeah, no problem. So I'd love to. Yeah. So what
1: sort what were your favorite types of music when you started working for the magazine like were you into a lot of different types of music or because you were mostly known for like aor and keyboard oriented stuff when you did work there
0: no i i grew up um you know in the, in the uh, i guess i started to get into music in about 1973 74 uh, when i was growing up and uh uh, you know, I was listening. I, I like rock music, you know, guitar music, but I, I liked everything else. I mean, I, even now, you know, I like, I like everything from Van Halen to Van Morrison. So uh, if it, if it's good, I like it. Um, but I, I have to say, when I was on karate I was really into uh, melodic hard rock and also uh, new bands rather than uh, the more popular and I guess older bands. So I was into discovering newer acts.
1: Yeah, so I've asked everybody this question, um, and a lot of them can't remember, some of them can, but what was your first assignment for the magazine? Um.
0: Yeah, I think it might have been Queen, actually.
1: Oh, nice one. You
0: know, uh, so uh, I went to Germany to interview um, Brian May, and uh, he um, you know, he was, a, he was a very nice guy, very, very welcoming kind of guy, and. Uh, that was the first thing I did. I thought I, I, um, I I'd also other things like Leader forward, you know, stuff
1: from around that era at that time. Yeah, no, I remember in the early 80s, there was a lot of new wave stuff like Duran Duran and Kim Wilde getting played on the radio. But what was your recollection of uh, how much hard rock did you actually hear on, on the radio at the time? And what, like, was there a lot of stations playing it?
0: Well, you couldn't hear that stuff on, uh, on British radio, that's for sure. It was all pop. Oh. So and yeah, it was very hard. It was very hard in those days to discover new acts, and the only thing that um, helped was uh, Koran, because you know you couldn't find out about these bands anywhere else. And also, um, you know, even even if people were writing about them, you couldn't hear them. You had to track down the records or get a tape from somebody.
1: Yeah, so, so Derek, were you somebody who um, scoured the import sections in like Virgin Records and all that for all the obscure American bands and all the obscure albums?
0: Oh yeah, yeah, but I was doing that before writing for Crown, you know, you just uh, you just you just go into stores and you look at the covers and, and you kind of think, hmm you know, the band were cool and the cover is cool so it's, it's going to be a good record and you kind of Base your uh, you know your assessment on that and then hopefully when you pay your money you get it out of and it's really good otherwise you know you've lost a lot of money for no
1: reason yeah so when you started at Kerrang, did, did you have a good relationship with Jeff Barton straight away and like or did it just develop over time and got better
0: um, you know probably about to Jeff because we we, uh, we like the same kind of music from uh, from the 70s and uh you know he 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 was very into uh you know i guess stuff like uh Judas Priest and uh u f o and uh you know a lot of the American stuff he was discovering when he was at sounds magazines you know there was a lot of impulse that he was writing about so we had I always had a good uh a good connection with jeff and and we we became very very good friends in fact we're still very good friends now.
1: So, were you, on, were you on the staff at Karang, or um, were you like a lot of the guys I've spoken to that were freelance? Yeah, no, I was
0: never on staff, I was a freelance, and it was only about three or four people on staff, or even less actually. And, um, uh, so everybody was doing it freelance, uh, uh, you know, but getting paid, and, uh, you know, uh, writing about music, the music we all loved, you know, that, that was fantastic, and and it was all, it was all new. We were discussing new things every day, so it was a uh, it was a great time. And uh, you know, these days it's very very, it's very different now. I find I find a lot of it very boring. Out
1: there. Yeah. So were there any relatively unknown acts that you really got behind early on in the magazine that um, you really really liked and you wanted to champion?
0: Uh, there's, a, there's a list as long as my arm. You know, I
1: <laughs>
0: think. You know, I mean, it may sound a bit cheesy now, but uh, for example, a band like, um, an artist like Michael Bolton, um, you know, nobody knew about him, and he made a couple of solo records which were phenomenal. Uh, you know, it was a hard rock, and, and his voice was incredible. Uh, so I, I really got behind him, and I got behind... I don't Legs Diamond was another one, they are a great band, and uh, so I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I'd have to flip back through the uh, through the magazines to see which ones uh, I really championed. But I I loved, I, I, I loved, uh, a lot of stuff, and, and I only wrote about stuff I loved.
1: And did a lot of the feature ideas? Did they come from from your own ideas, or from yourself, or was that a, like a between you and Jeff that you you came up with the ideas?
0: Yeah, I mean, just uh, you know. It, it, Jeff Jeff really uh, relied on enthusiasm, and if you went to him and said, "Jeff, this band's great, or this act's great, or this artist is is great," you know, I really want to do something. He, he would say, "Oh, if you think it's great, let's do it." So uh, it was a it was a good uh, a good situation, uh, you know, and he, he was very um, uh, he was very accommodating to to that passion, which. Uh, uh, you know, which, which, which was fantastic. There's a lot of editors. You know, that they just tell you to write about what, what they tell you what to write about. So, uh, you know, so the human is very different.
1: Yeah, and are there any features that you did for the magazine that you're really proud of and they really, really stand out for you and has been really good pieces of work? Uh,
0: well, I can't. There's so many and they all got blurred. I don't remember. I mean, they're all blurred. Each other but I don't remember the first one but' it's lots lots of really uh, great ones that stand out
1: yeah uh, so overall um, how do you feel you were treated by the bands when you, when you went on the road with them like did you end up having a, a good relationship there or were there any hairy experiences? Um,
0: yeah I mean I went to uh, Germany with Queen and that was really that was cool I mean I heard, you know Fre- Freddie was kind of a weird weird kind of guy even then. And, uh, but, 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 you know, like I said, the, um, what's this, you know, you know, Brian May was a, was a very nice guy, very relaxed, and, uh, the Scorpions, uh, UFO, uh, you know, uh, those guys are out of their mind, uh, uh, so, uh, let me think, uh, you yeah, know, I want to, uh, I went to America with Venom, actually funny enough, and that was that was pretty cool. Um, and, and lots of places in Europe to see, uh, to, to hang out with bands and see bands. And you know, you uh, When I actually talking about Europe, I went. I went to uh, I went on the road with uh, Europe in, before they before they became megastars with uh, the Final Countdown. And so that was kind of interesting. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of stuff. I, can like I say, it all it all kind of fuses into into one. Really, I didn't. I don't really. Uh, I didn't keep a diary, so I don't know. Okay. And it was different back then because um, they really. The only, you know, the problem. problems were for the artists. There wasn't the radio support they have now in in Europe, and there wasn't. Uh, you know the, the magazines. There's only one magazine, so they have to kind of, um, you know, treat the journalists with uh, with great respect, and, and uh, you know, I guess, embrace them, uh, which was which was great. But uh, these days, you know, it's very different. Things are different. There's so there's so much, um, uh, you know, like social media out there that. Um, they don't really need journalists anymore, it's all, it's all done on the internet and uh, their Facebook pages, their Instagram pages and their, uh, you know, all, all, all that, their websites. So it's it's a very different kettle of fish these days. Um, I'm not so sure it's uh, as exciting as it used
1: to be. Yeah, so at the time, did you, did you ever feel that the magazine was, was having a major influence on rock and metal or was everything just going by so fast?
0: Um, no, it was such a fast turnover that it, it kind of, like, every, once, once one, one issue was done, the next, everyone was thinking about an issue, the following issue, so you didn't have time to, I guess, you know, for me, you didn't, I didn't have time to look at it and go, oh, this is great, you know, because you're, you're thinking about the next issue and, and trying to, trying to come up with, uh, you know, the, the stories and the angles for, for, for that. I don't think, you know, it wasn't. It wasn't. Um, uh, you know, I don't. I, you know, I don't think it, you know. You couldn't. You couldn't sit back and uh, uh, you know say and rely on your. Uh, I guess uh, laurels
1: there. Yeah. And did you ever think that the bands realised the importance of Kerrang! To them at the time, or was it just were you just one magazine and a multitude of magazines, or maybe radio interviews um, that they were doing?
0: Uh, were well they guarded? I don't think so, no. I think the part of the whole thing was, I think they were, they were trying to show, they were trying to, uh, try and make sure that you had a good time, and, uh, because if you had a good time, the, the, article would be very positive about them. Uh, so I think there was a lot of, uh, a lot of, a lot of that, that kind of thing going on, where they, they would uh, entice you and, uh, uh, you know, Kind of, kind of treat you well uh, a, lot of the, a lot of the bands were great guys in, in you know some of them were were kind of uh, curmudgeons you know but they they would turn it on for uh, for the for the journalists so it was yeah you know, you know it was a, I, I, I left on I left, um, in the late 80s to start working for apple companies and uh, it was a very it was a very different kettle of fish when once you were working. For the artist, rather than uh, you know, reporting on the
1: artist. Yeah, yeah. Um, do you have any favorite interviews that you did for the magazine, or maybe like bizarre interviews? Um, yeah, uh,
0: I think the um, I think the one the, the most the most amusing interview I, I ever did was uh, with uh, a guy called Eddie Money, who's uh, you know a solo artist. And he 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 uh, he had a great voice, a real real sort of like Paul Rodgers kind of voice, and uh, he made a, some great albums. And he came to England to do some press. Uh, I he, he was just crazy. I mean, he was like Rodney Dangerfield, you know, on on on, on laughing gas. I mean, the guy was the guy was a, a natural comedian. He was fantastic, uh, and then the most bizarre one was uh, interviewing Lenny Wolf from kingdom Come who uh, who insisted that um, he'd never heard Led Zeppelin
1: wow really Which
0: was plainly ridiculous because you know the first album the album I, I went to America to uh, be with you know sit with him and, and interview him was uh, essentially it was it was every Led Zeppelin was crammed into one record. So uh, but, you know, that was that was bizarre. He he, he wouldn't he wouldn't uh, admit that he'd ever heard Logic, which is crazy. <laughs> and uh, uh you know some really I mean a UFO, uh very intelligent guy, but also very um I guess very uh Very disturbed as well in some kind of way. You know, he's, he's a lot deeper than what you would imagine. And, uh, he, uh, at the time, you know, he was, he was, uh, I mean, mean, you know, I'm not, not, he wasn't drunk or anything, but he was, uh, the sort of guy was, uh, you know, you felt that there was a lot more to him than what you were getting in the interview. And so I always felt that was kind of weird. And then, uh, I interviewed Phil Lennart. Phil Lennart was good or for alignment as we' like to be called. Um, and he um, he was very 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 good I mean you know he's probably done about 20 interviews in the space of two days but when I sat with him he was very very um, uh, focused and, and very happy to uh, spend spend as much time as I wanted to talk about things so he was uh, he, I, I also I respected that um, I mean, I remember seeing Jeff Leppard, the guy that died, I forgot his name, actually. The guy that died, uh, the guitar player. Steve Clark. Steve Clark, uh, yeah. And uh, it, I mean, I, mean, I, I was interviewing about midday, or just before midday, and clearly he'd been drinking. And uh, I just thought, you know, this this is not good. This is just... This is there's something very, very wrong here, and uh, lo and behold, you know, further down the line, he dies of alcoholism. So it, it was, uh, it, it's it's an interesting it's an interesting game when, when the artists don't conceal their uh, I guess their true uh, their true feelings, you know. So I think um, I think that was that was always very poignant.
1: Yeah, so, of course, two of the biggest AOR bands at the time were Journey and Foreigner, and I'm just wondering, um, did you actually write many features about them, or did you actually interview both bands at the time?
0: Yeah, yeah, sure, Journey, absolutely. And uh, it was uh, very, very, I mean, the band were huge, and uh, the point of the fact is that, you know, the vocalist, Steve Perry, was losing the plot and, uh, not, not in a, not in a kind of drugs or alcohol kind of way, but just in a, in a sort of, a, a grip on reality. And he was, um, he, he, he was drifting. You could tell he was drifting from the, from the band. And, uh, you know, it was obviously later on down the line he left the band a couple of times and left them in the lurch and for whatever reason, although he justifies that. And, uh, The you know it it was it was it it was a very strange. It's it's amazing actually when you get a band that goes from zero to a million miles an hour, and then everyone starts losing the plot in one in one way or another. So it's kind it's kind of an interesting social uh, uh, analysis of 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 individuals and, and success. It's a very, it's a very weird game when when, 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 artists get what they, you know, they say never, never, never uh, wish, you know, don't wish for what, you know, whatever you wish for, uh, it might come true, and uh, unfortunately, you know, I think for a lot of acts and a lot of artists, uh, it does, uh, you know, it is, um, awesome. it, it is the undoing of their, of their uh, bomb.
1: Yeah, now I'm curious, like, you interviewed a lot of melodic rock bands, and did any of them ever voice to you that they were uncomfortable with the direction that they were going in? Um, maybe going in a softer direction and more keyboards, maybe power ballads?
0: Um, no, no, I mean, the, the, the name of the game is to sell records. And if you're not prepared to play that game, then the, the label... Is uh, you know you can't you can't expect the label to support the act if if they're not playing ball. So for example, you know you have a band like White Lion, and they they essentially were a a real hard rock band um, in in the mould of I guess Deep Purple, and they got caught in a spiral of uh, power ballads. So, So I think internally in the band it really it really kind of, I like guess, splintered them, uh, and they were expected to come up with these songs. So you had the record, you had the record label, the A&R people, leaning on the the artist and, and saying, "No, no, no, we want a ballad, we want a ballad, we want this one, that." So it's it's, a, it's 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 you know it, it can cause a lot of problems, and and for a lot of acts, it did.
1: Yeah, now, Derek, I want to talk about an English band that were, were, huge, they were like, signed to Epic Records, a uh, band called FM, who I'm sure you championed in the magazine. They seemed to have everything going for them. They had a brilliant singer, the songs, and, and it never happened for them. Do you any reason why? Well, I mean, they're a very talented band,
0: and, and as you say, I think all the elements in the band play, and they, they could write fantastic songs. I think one of the problems was that um, they were signed to, uh, you know the politics of record companies are very interesting, and I think they were they were signed to the UK office of uh, Epic Records, and uh, Epic Records in America they had signed their own band, so they were very they were much more interested in breaking their own band in America rather than taking uh, a British signed band on Epic and trying to break them in, in North America because you know. Uh, and you wouldn't know this, but a lot, a lot of the uh, revenue from uh, records that are sold in America, if it's an American signed act, goes straight, you know, is it, all revenue for Epic Records US. However, if they broke an act by Epic Records in the UK, or signed in the UK, then 50% of the revenue goes back to the UK and not the US. So there's a lot of politics involved in, in uh, why, why do you think it can happen? Or, or, you know, artists that you think are great and are right to the market, they don't happen. Uh, it, I think they were probably victims of something, something along those lines because they were obviously, um, you know, they were, they, were, they were a brilliant act and should have broken. They should have broken in Europe as well, but unfortunately it didn't really happen.
1: Yeah, Derek, now... I'm curious. um, When I was growing up, Bon Jovi in Europe and a lot of the American melodic bands got played, and they never played the English bands. Do you have any Do you have any insight into why that is?
0: No, I think they were signing them on the basis that that they would break in America, but of course, you know, the the politics of the internal organisation kind kind of you know didn't didn't really support that idea. Which, uh, which you know, which I think a lot of NR people didn't really realise they were signing these
1: right Yeah, because another band that stands out for me that were tip for great things were uh, Shy, and they ended up on RCA Records, and it never happened for them either. No, not at all. I mean, you know, the the, the
0: reason why, um, I guess, uh, you know, I guess. Um, White snake broke in America is because they actually signed an American record deal and they changed their style from blues rock to melodic hard rock. And, uh, you know, the American label assignment, Get In, really uh, broke the act on the basis of that. Uh, But, you know, as far as we're concerned over here, if you took Shy to the radio stations in in the the UK in the 80s and you took Bon Jovi, you know, because of their flamboyance and the way they looked and, and just the whole
2: nine yards,
0: you know, that, hands down, they were going to play Bon Jovi and not shy. They were from, you know, Birmingham, and, uh, you know, didn't really have that same kind of glitzy kind of background.
1: Yeah, now, Derek, you were mostly known for the AOR stuff in Kerrang!, but was there any other types of music that you covered for the magazine, like Trash Metal, yeah.
0: maybe? Um, yeah, and I went to Europe to to um, do a lot of bands on uh, Lowrider and Noise Records, and uh, uh, there was another label actually out there. And but and, uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I you know I did like some of the music. It wasn't like oh I'm just doing this because I, I you know I was asked to do it. I only I only did things I liked, and then my old family very interesting because they, they were kind of tongue-in-cheek in a way. And the guys in the band were actually, uh, they were not demonic at all. They were actually kind of uh, pretty humorous, um, you know, not normal kind of guys, which I, I got on very well with them.
1: Yeah, I'm curious, um, all the live gigs you would have gone to when you were with the magazine, was there one that blew you away that you can remember? It was just amazing.
0: Um. Yeah, I think that, um, I think, uh, I'm trying to think of one that stands out but that really, really was an amazing performance. You know, all, I saw all the big bands, of course, which was fine, but I went to see, uh, Kansas, um, uh, and they were incredible musicians. I mean, just phenomenal. And, uh, they blew me away. I you know, because that, number one, they, they were in the lobby, they were writing memorable tunes. And their musicianship and arrangements were just mind-blowing. So I think that stands out. Uh, and who else? Any, the, the little club acts? I can't remember any really that, that really stand out. No, I want to see, oh yeah, I want to see, uh, no, no, I can't. I can't remember. I can I, I'd have to. I'd, I'd, I would have to uh, sit down for a, a half, and, half an hour
1: and, and figure some of the stuff out. Yeah. So, Derek, we ever on the yeah. road with any of the bands, and um, it got very uncomfortable straight away, and uh, things didn't just start well, and it was very, very difficult for you to get the feature done there was a lot of friction there they just didn't really want to cooperate with you at all
0: um no um, no I, I'm a fairly relaxed kind of guy so um, being around people you know I, ne- I'm never, I was never awkward with people and they were never awkward with me I never experienced anything like that I think there's a lot I think what some of the times you can pick up there's tension in the band between the various members and that's pretty awkward um, but apart from that, no, I've never, uh, you know, I've, I've never encountered when, when people didn't want to talk to you or, or, uh, kind of being rude. I never Very encountered to go that, now. which right. was
1: interesting. Yeah. So how, how was your relationship with the PR people? Cause everyone I've spoken to so far seems to have had a good relationship with them and they never really had any run-ins with them.
0: Do you, did you have the same experience? Um, yeah. yeah, some some of them were, you know, were, were great fun and really nice to be around and, uh, you know, they would always have their uh, credit card uh, hands, which is great, you know, which is cool. And, um, you know, and that, yeah, it was there, there was no, um, you know, a very boring interview, interview when, when it comes to stuff like that because I never had any problems with anyone and I didn't, uh, you know, I, I, I didn't encounter any, any kind of, you know, situation. So, uh, no, I, I, I never had any problems.
1: Yeah, so this is probably a hard question for you, Derek, but um, what magazines t- did you wrote for in the magazine that you really, really liked and never really broke? Yeah, loads,
0: loads. Uh, you know, like, well, obviously, I like SM, and uh, I'm trying to think of some others, but, you know, I don't know. I can't remember, but I mean, you know, bands like that, you know, you, who were really, really great, and uh, they they couldn't they couldn't catch uh, a cold, you know, they couldn't get any sort, they couldn't get any sales, so it's really disheartening to find that to find that they they would have to split up or you know break up um, with various members going in different directions. Uh, I mean, you know, for example, a band like. Um, Terraplane, uh, you know, they were, they were cool. They were, they were okay, but they were much better when they became Thunder. So, in a way, the fact that they split up was re- very um, helpful to them. You know, for them to uh, to realise what they were doing wasn't wasn't 100 uh, great. And then they came back doing some stuff that was really, really, really phenomenal.
1: Yeah, and Thunder, like they're still a, a fantastic band. They're still making great music now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're still writing incredible material, um, and playing. The playing is, is you know off the hook. So, um, so it's it's just fascinating, really, when you look at some of the periods like that.
1: Yeah. No. Xavier Russell taught Legs Diamond to be big. Malcolm Dawn taught Fiona Flanagan to be big. Who did you think would be big?
0: Well, you know, that's Xavier. Yeah, he would he would say something right like know. Yeah. Same here. I would, I would, I mean, if, if any band didn't make it, they should have made it. It's probably Legs Simon. I, yeah, I don't I've think heard. you ever heard it. Have you ever heard
1: Legs Simon? Oh yeah. I've heard them. Yeah. They should have been going, a, they were going a long time in the eighties.
0: Yeah. No, no, that was a shame. That Dan, Dan was uh, a great talent, but you know, it just didn't happen no matter how hard they tried. And, and, uh, you know,
1: he uh, he just couldn't do it. So and then he shaved his hair, which made it even more difficult. Yeah. So another one that uh, I thought would have been huge is so Dan Reed Network. Do you agree with that? Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. No, I am curious. Um, bon Jovi were one of the biggest melodic rock bands at the time you were with the magazine. Did you ever get to interview John Bon Jovi? Yeah. No, oh,
0: yeah. I did not. I. Uh, i, I I did get to know him, actually, um, in the in early 90s, uh, because I was working with a guy that signed him to, um, Phonogram, and, uh, he introduced me to him once, and I, I, I had a long chat with him, uh, and he, he, he's very, he's a very professional kind of guy, so, you know, he, he knows how to, how to work, work the situation, and, uh, he, he, he's, uh, he's a very cool, cool cookie, you know um, he, had, he had the looks uh, he had the band
1: and he had uh, the song and he, he took it to the, the top so uh, to a more power to him yeah, so 80s hair metal particularly the hair metal in the late 80s um, were you a big fan of that or did you just like turn your nose up at a lot of it you just weren't a fan of it at all
0: yeah, a lot, of, a lot of those characters. Uh, but the, the, you know, I didn't really like poison that much because it, it was too far away for me. Uh, and uh, the, uh, you know, the, the, the playing and, you know, the the, the song the songs were, were very sort of uh, I guess basic. Um, but you know, a stuff like Ringo was fantastic. I mean, he's a he's a great guy, by the way. Uh, and, uh, but his band, his band and him, I mean, they, they are multi-talented uh, uh, instrumental instrumentalists. I mean, you know, half of the band came from a uh, progressive rock band. So they really know, knew how to play. And despite the fact that he had, uh, you know, melodic hard rock hits, ballads, power ballads, the, the band itself were fantastic. Uh, that was good. Uh, White Lion were a great band. Unfortunately, they got they got locked into that power power ballad situation, which which didn't help. Uh, and but you know the be Crews, well whatever. You know, I you know they're, they're you know I I, I kind of like them i then getting of think well you know it's a bit of a joke, but I, don't, I don't, you know I kind of like
1: them. Yeah. So in all the years at the magazine, um, is there someone that stands out to you as a musician who is really, really don't hurt that you're able to sit down and talk to him about anything and maybe have a laugh and a joke for maybe a little bit longer than you were scheduled for.
0: Um I'm trying to think of someone. Um you know I should say Michael Bolton, to be honest. He uh he he's very humorous. He's very he's very um what's the word, uh deadpan. And uh uh he, he he doesn't ingratiate himself and he's just uh he was he was normal from day one and then I I I I bumped into him actually after he'd become very successful. And uh he was the same guy which was which was very refreshing. I'm I'm I was pleased about that. And uh God knows. I mean, you know, there's tons of these people out there. But no, in general, there's, there's not many people out there that I wouldn't want to meet again or bump into. So, you know, it's all
1: very positive. Yeah, so Derek, what, what made you leave Kerrang! What was the reason you, you actually left in the end? And wh- when exactly did you leave the magazine?
0: Yeah, late 80s. I, I, I got a job uh working for Atlantic Records in London in uh I think about eighty eight and then um I started uh you know I, I was I went I started like climbing up the, the the, ladder and uh ended up uh moving to New York in late eighty nine to uh to work with uh, a label called uh, a sister label to Atlantic called Atco Records. And uh, started to sign a lot of acts to the label, and um, including Pantera and Dream Theater and a, and a shed load of acts that um, didn't make it, you know, didn't, didn't sell any records. Uh, and then worked from there for, uh, I, I moved to Electra, Electra Records in, in the mid-90s and uh, then to Roadrunner Records uh, in the late, 90s and started working for them doing, 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 doing some bigger acts and uh, moved back here and signed uh, uh, a band called Down, which was you know a Pantera spin off band, uh, Heaven and Hell, which was uh, essentially Black Sabbath, and uh, also The Cult. Um, which uh, we made a great record with. Unfortunately, you know, it, it didn't happen for them again. But, um, uh, you know, it was, it was very interesting. You know, I had a good uh, a good run. Uh, you know, it was hard to do, being an A&R guy. Usually, usually get one bite of the cherry and then it's, it's, then it's over. Uh, I managed to spring a, a good, a good uh, 10, 15-year career out of that. So, uh
1: Yeah. Now there's probably a ton of people have asked you about the likes of Pantera and Dream Theater, but um I want to ask you about Tangier and why didn't and why okay. didn't they break it big?
0: Yeah. They were great. Um I mean the problem was uh they were viewed by radio as very much a B B level kind of act. You know, along the lines of Dock and and uh I'm trying to think of some other acts, but they were never perceived as a Bon Jovi, uh, which was kind of impeded their uh, progress. So we were never, you know, and Bill Bill Matts, the original vocalist, wasn't wasn't a good looking guy, so it was never really on the cards for them to uh, do a Bon Jovi or a White Lion or any of those acts. Um, they were just very musical and, uh, and very, you know, and, and they were working against the. uh you know, they were working, I guess, against the, the stream, uh, you know, the river. They were, they were going up upstream. They were going downstream when everything was going upstream. So, uh, you know, it was it was difficult, difficult situation. But you know, they made they made one great record. Unfortunately, they let go of Bill, and they got another vocalist in, which didn't didn't really improve the situation.
2: So yeah, I love
0: the Tangier album. I thought they, they was a good, good producer on that record, Andy Johns, who uh, you know did, did all the uh, all the British stuff from the seventies, Led Zeppelin, etc. So it was, uh, it was, yeah, it was a disappointing product, uh, project. We had um, yeah. we had nothing up on the label at the same time, and all you know, pretty much uh, everyone was thinking, "Oh, that's the atmosphere really break, and they were sort of, you know. Saying, oh, well, 10th uh, you know, uh, they're just a B-level act. They're never going never gonna to happen. You know? So, uh, yeah, it was disappointing. But, you know, what? you have to can
1: Yeah, so, of course, there must be bands that you wanted to sign, and uh, they got away from you. Is there any that sticks to mind that actually made it in the end?
0: Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, for example, uh, Rage Against the Machine. I really wanted to sign that, but... Uh, uh, you know, that that was pretty much that was a done deal with uh with with uh epic records from uh from fr- from right at the beginning. Um there were some other acts that I was I was really keen on. Uh and uh it didn't go our way. But you know what, there's always another act out there. That was the thing I realised when you're doing A and R. If you lose one, there's another ten out there. <laughs> So, so I didn't, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, you, know, you, you know, you lose some, you, get, you, you gain some. I mean, uh, so for example, better like the, the Rembrandt, which I had a hand in signing. Nobody wanted to sign them. And then we signed them, and then they, had a, they had a top 20 uh, U.S. hit. So it's, it's funny how, how uh, you know, these great acts. I mean, for example, like Boston, you know, they got turned down by every record company. Twice before they actually got signed, and then also Foreigner got turned down by every record company before they were signed. So, you know, it's, it's, and I've seen a lot of money spent on acts that didn't do anything either. So, the the music business is a funny game. Uh, It's different now, of course, because there's no sales out there anymore. Things have changed to the point where uh, it's all about live, uh, revenue and uh, uh, merchandise revenue and publishing revenue. But there's, there's really no, no record sales out there anymore. So it's a t- completely different ballgame now,
1: nowadays. Yeah, so what was your take on grunge when it broke? Um, were you a big fan of it at all? Did it, was it an acquired taste for you? Or were you just a little bitter because of the scene that it actually killed, that you loved?
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the problem for the hard rock genre was that it became very stale by about 91 and then you know people wanted to change and the sound god came along nirvana came along pole jam came along and they were you know it was hard rock it was a slightly different twist on it uh, i think that um I, I think you know i think it, it I think it was well-intended, well and I do think some of the acts were, were really great. Some of them, I thought, were just jumping on a bandwagon. Like but, uh, yeah, it, 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 there's always phases in, in popular music, you know, and then the old becomes the new again. you know. I mean, they like Black Crow, when they were signed, I think in that, I think that was the, probably the late 80s, early 90s, you know, people were, were were laughing at them because they were an old school act, and yet they, uh, you know, they they actually became very popular with, with that kind of music. So, yeah, I mean, it's just um, it was a very difficult time for everybody, and I think some people got very burnt because of that. band like and Boy, who wrote great great songs, uh, pop rock pop rock band. And that career was finished overnight. You know, literally, they they were toast. And from about 91 onwards, they were toast.
1: Yeah, no, I just want to talk to you for a couple of minutes about uh, Rock Candy Records that you've been doing for many years now. Um, can you just tell us a little bit about the actual process of reissuing the records, because a lot of people like myself probably don't understand like the nuts and bolts of actually getting it done and getting it out there uh, to the public.
0: The, um, you know, the, the, the reissue game is very, very, you've got to be in it to um, understand this, but you can't necessarily get the rights to things you want to put out because either they won't let you have the rights, or they don't have the rights, and you can't negotiate the rights from a third party who may have a claim to it. So, so there's a lot of that. There's a lot of them. Um, uh, I get a lot of requests for acts that wouldn't sell two copies. Uh, and so I can't obviously do those. But there's a lot of acts that I can do. I do think that, um, you know, we can sell a 1,000 copies, minimum, uh, which we do. And then uh, there are some acts, you know, some of the bigger acts, which we sell two, 3,000 copies of straight out of the box. So, um, so I think it's uh, it's a very it's a difficult question um, because most people out there they don't understand that there's there's a legal process to get the rights to reissue these records. There's been so many bootleg companies out there that have just release stuff and don't have any rights. That um, you know that people just think, oh, I can you can just put anything out, but you can't really. If you want to do it properly, you you've got to do it legally.
1: Yeah, no, of course. I got a couple of bands I have to ask you about about reissuing stuff, and like the first one is the Badlands albums. Okay,
0: well we put, we, we put the um, ba- the two Badlands albums out. And they were out, and then uh, we wanted to uh, carry on with the license. Uh, with uh, Warner's who owned it, and uh, they uh, didn't want to extend the license, so we couldn't uh, carry on print, you know, pressing them. So that they came out, and then they went, you know, that they went. So uh, you know, and and Warner's aren't doing anything with those records. So go figure. You know, I asked you know, but they, they just never have an
1: answer. Yeah, and the other albums that I've I've always wanted to get, and they cost a fortune now to get, are the two Lion albums.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know, we can't establish who owns the rights, and uh, so we went to the we went to the band and said, "Do you, do you know who, who, who owns the rights?" And they didn't know either. So we said to them, "Well, you know, could we license them direct from you?" And they were scared that uh, somebody would pop, pop their head up uh, when the records came out and, you know, sue them because uh, they didn't have the rights. So we're, we're in a difficult situation with them, although I hope, I hope to be able to uh, sort something out between them and, uh, you know, uh, us later. So I hope they come out. they well, are great, great, great act. Great, great bands. Great, great records, actually. There's a full one that came out. I think it was released on Grand Slam Records in, in America, uh, which I don't think was that great, but the, uh, the first two were fantastic.
1: Yeah, and one of the things I think you do a great job at Rock Candy is you put a lot of effort into not only the remastering, but you know, you've the packaging, you've got the liner notes, you've got the new band interviews. It's like it's like a little kind of a, a mini box set kind of thing. You know, you got bonus tracks on a lot of them. It's a great way of looking back on all of these albums that came out that a lot of people really still love them.
0: Absolutely. That's, um, that's the, uh, you know, uh, and also we did it in such a way. I mean, I'm a big fan, obviously, of, of the music and, and uh, uh, of the acts. So, uh, so we do, we, tr- we treat it with um, a, a great respect. You know, so we're, we're releasing these records as if they were, a, you know, a Bruce Springsteen or a Bob Dylan reissue. You know, and trying trying to, trying to uh, treat them with the due respect that they deserve. And and uh, you know, hopefully, uh, I, don't know if, you know, I, I know we get a lot of, we get a lot of emails from people saying, oh, you know, we love your stuff and it's great. Uh, and we have no intention of uh, of not continuing in, in that
1: style. Yeah, and one of the things, Derek, that I loved, that you brought out this year, is um, the Rock Candy magazine. Yeah. As someone who grew up in the 80s with Kerrang, I kind of missed all that humor with a lot of the writers, and you've got a lot of them back now, and, and it's a great throwback to that time. The features that you're doing now are just really, really making me think of all of those magazines I got when I was a kid. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah yeah i'm 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 glad you said that because um we felt that um a lot of the magazines that were on the, you know that were being produced right now just didn't get don't get what this music is all about, and uh we wanted to correct that and i think we, I think we've done a good job so far and we're going to do you know be even better as time goes on
1: yeah and I believe you have a new issue on the way on the way soon <laughs>
0: yeah Yeah. And the new, the new, uh, the new issue is out uh, actually tomorrow, uh, and we'll be, uh, winging its explaining to people in the mail, which is great. So I'm really, really really happy about it. Yeah. That that first issue was received very, very well, um, which makes it worthwhile, you know, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah. 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 So so, Derek, can you just throw out all the, all the links for Rock Candy where people can get in touch with, with you and, and, and the label and the magazine?
0: Um. Yeah, just uh, search on on uh, you know Google or whatever you got, Firefox, Microsoft. Just just pump in uh, Rock Candy Records, and you should the the, the uh, you know the links should come up straight away.
1: Yeah, and final thing for me, Derek, you just keep bringing out all those reissues, and uh, I'll, I'll keep spending money, and I'll keep buying them. You're just doing a great job with those.
0: Great. I'll, 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 I'll keep taking your money. So. All right, Derek. Well, it's been a pleasure
2: talking to you, and uh, have a great rest of the day. Bye. Thank, you. Thank you. All right, take care. Bye. Bye. All right, Metalheads, that is a wrap for Kerrang! number five. Of course, big shout-out to uh, Derek Oliver for taking all of that time the other day to talk to Richie about, uh, about everything, about Kerrang, about uh, Rock Candy Records, about Rock Candy Magazine. Uh, definitely the guy is uh, a fountain of, uh, of knowledge. And if you want to uh, see what kind of stuff he does have on offer at Rock Candy Records, then the obvious place to go is rockcandyrecords.com. You can also hit him up on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash rockcandyrecords. And if, like Richie, you are interested in getting a hold of the uh, brand-new Rock Candy Magazine, issue number two is out at this point. You can uh, obviously go to Facebook, facebook.com slash rockcandymag. and the top of their page, you'll see a Shop Now button, and you can click that. And where does that bring you? It brings you over to their main website, rockcandymag.com. So all kinds of good stuff to be had there, and Richie highly recommends that one. I haven't got my hands on an actual physical copy of it yet, but I uh, I am planning on doing just that. I know Richie used to always loan me his uh, classic rock mag, so maybe he'll part with the rock candy mag for a few days so I can check that one out. But anyways, uh, again... Big thanks to Derek Oliver for taking all that time to talk with Richie the other day. Hope you guys enjoyed that one as we wrap up Kerrang number five. And of course, this also means we got one more episode left to go before we go on our summer break. And uh, good stuff to be had there. Uh, we're going to have one, if not two, good interviews for that one to kind of round that out before we head off for the summer. And obviously, we got a pretty nice interview already in the can for uh, the week that we come back as well, as we will do Kerrang! number six. And uh, while I'm thinking about it, for those of you who may be going to the Maiden show at the Xfinity Center out in Mansfield, Mass. Next week, uh, keep an eye out because Richie and I will both be out there. Um, I'm not sure where the heck he's sitting. Uh, I'm uh, sitting over in Yannick's side, as some of you know. But uh, both of us will be out there wandering around with a couple other friends of the show So uh, be on the lookout for us, and uh, we'll be happy to meet up with any of you if you want to shoot uh, Richie or I an email or a text or whatever, and uh, we can look to see about hooking up and saying hi to you at the uh, Maiden Show out in Mansfield. But for this week, as I always say, stick a fork in it. This puppy is done. So for Richie, myself, and everybody else here at Focus on Metal, have yourselves a great metal week. And until we talk to you again next week, Remember... Focus on metal! Everything else is insignificant.